Mark can't, uh, can't come up on stage and introduce me as the guest speaker tonight, so he asked me to do it. So uh, he wrote down a few thoughts here, and I just thought I'd share them. That uh, it, it simply says this. He says, uh, I'd like to welcome our guest speaker, Gary Watson. Thank you, Mark. He says, uh, he says, when you think of the word integrity, when you think of the word master communicator, and when you think of the word, uh, I can't even think of a third word. I, sorry, I'm supposed to be reading this, right? Uh, unique, I don't know, whatever it is. He, he wrote simply this. He says, these are three words that Gary can't spell. And so it seems mean now that I'm reading it. But uh, anyway, I'm uh, happy to be here with the lights on and, uh, and with you guys. And, uh, um, you know, I was, go I was looking through some old, uh, old photographs uh, not too long ago. And by, from a time when I was much younger. And by much younger, I mean like 30, 40 years ago. And by photographs, I mean non-digital pics. Um, for anybody who's here who's younger, maybe 30 years of age or less, uh, you know, there used to be a time where if you wanted to be in a photo, somebody else had to take the photo. And if we're currently living in the generation of the selfie, I often say, I guess I come from the generation of the someone else where someone else had to take those pictures. But I was looking at some of these pictures, and it was amazing to me how well I remembered some of them. Uh, for example, how about this one? I remember this. That's me, 1978. Anybody know where I am? Marine Land. Marine Land. I remember that day because that's not the sort of thing my parents did. And you're all staring at the picture. I know why. It's like the hair, the socks, <laughs> the $6 million van t-shirt. There's, there's so much good stuff there. Can I just say, listen, it was a different time, okay? I fit in with the rest of the kids, honest. I remember my, uh, the lady used to cut my hair. She used to say to me, you know, you could start losing your hair today, and you'll never lose it. And I just want to say now, online, she's a liar. What an awful thing to tell a kid. But yeah, I used to have so much hair that it stacked up on top of each other. I mean, I didn't actually have a cow lick, but I, I, I looked like I had several. But I remember that day. I remember that day. And it was 1978. I was, uh, I was seven, seven years old. I remember that day. I remember this day even better. That's not me. I remember this day. This was my first ever Blue Jays game, my 10th birthday. My dad took me to Exhibition Stadium. I didn't really know anything about baseball. I didn't know anything about the Jays. Uh, you know, they'd only been in the league for uh, not very many years at that point. They weren't very good. Uh, but that day, I, I, I decided this was my favorite player. Anybody want to take a stab? 1981. Tony Fernandez? Oh, nice try. Nice try. Oh, Seji Barfield is my favorite <laughs> baseball player. That's George Bell. That's George Bell. He was a call-up for about a month, and then he went back to the minors for about two more years before he became a regular. But that's George Bell. And he was my favorite player, and I remember that day. I remember the moment. If you, if you know anything about old Exhibition Stadium, you would come up this, this concourse and just kind of spill out onto the main, onto the main uh, seating area. And just, it would just hit you. As you took those last two steps, you were just blown away by this field of green in front of you. I remember everything about it. I remember we lost to Boston 9-5. I had to look up the score, but I remember we lost to Boston that day because our bullpen gave up four runs in a tie game in the ninth inning. See if that rings a bell. But uh, I remember that day, 1981. How about this one? That's me on the right. Uh, that was the day I was baptized. I was baptized in 1990. I remember the moment that picture was taken because my dad 
had climbed up the slide into this pool <laughs> to get just the right angle. And of course, you know, just as the pastor was about to say something important, I mean, I hear they do sometimes, just as he was about to say something important, my dad started to slip down the slide. No word of a lie. And he, and he caught himself. But it was that everybody, of course, looked at him. Look at the hair. I can't get over the hair. It's still not a... I remember that day, too, because there was five of us getting baptized, and they brought four gowns. So I was last. And if it looks like it's already wet, that's because it was already wet. But I remember that exact moment. You know, it, uh, in 1992, I kind of started into some competitive soccer playing. If any of the youth remember or Mark has seen me play, I have a pretty, a pretty heavy-duty set of skills when it comes to soccer. Uh, here's where I got my start. <laughs> I'm not even going to say which one's me, but uh, let's see, it's pretty obvious. <laughs> the one on the right's me. And you know what? I did not win every game that I ever played, but can I tell you, I never lost 8-1, not even once. But that's... Uh, <laughs> I remember the hours and hours and hours I spent in the, in the Emmanuel Bible College lounge playing foosball. And that probably explains why, after a year, they asked me not to come back. I spent too much time playing foosball. But I remember, I remember those times. Anybody want to see a picture of Candace with a perm? Oh, I'm not showing it for free. Do you guys want to hear it? Boom. Whoa, come on. Can I just say something to all the guys out there who all your friends say to you, dude, she's out of your league? Can I just say, so what? Persistency pays off. The first time she looked at me, she didn't look at me like that. But I just stuck with it, and eventually she got tired and said yes to a date. And uh, I think regretted it ever since, to be honest. But... She's stuck now, but the, I re, okay, I don't remember that. I wasn't there. I wasn't the photographer. What's that? Is that your shoulder? No, that was her old boyfriend. I cut him out. Thank you so much for bringing that up. Yeah, that's awesome. But, uh, well, it's better than new boyfriend, right? That's her old boyfriend. But, you know, not, not every, not every picture is of a good memory. I mean, sometimes people go out and they purposely want to create good memories. So they take pictures of things and then later on, they regret it. Not this picture. Go to the next picture. <laughs> They're killing me, C-Pan. <laughs> Don't worry. That guy is so little, he won't even remember this happened. He won't remember, you know, that's the power of a concussion. So he's, he's fine. But that's not how they planned that picture. That's not the memory they were looking for. And maybe it's not even a picture. Maybe it's a smell. They, they've done studies where, you know, certain smells really really strongly react to different people and you just you smell something it just brings back memories probably grandma's house does anybody have like a, a they can kind of picture the smell of grandma's house my kids always used to love going to grandma's house and they used to say it smells so good there and it wasn't until they got a bit older that we realized it was the smell of red wine that they liked so much <laughs> so you know it wasn't cookies it wasn't pie it was red wine that my grandma's house smelled like or sorry my mom smells house smelled like, but it's still an important memory to them, you know? And I think we all know that, right? Memories are important. And, and I know this because there is not a counselor or a therapist in the world who at least once hasn't told somebody, your mother ruined you. <laughs> but can I just say in defense of mothers, maybe you weren't that good to begin with. Like, to be honest, can I just say that? But that's, that's that idea, right? All your childhood memories have kind of like scarred you as an adult. 
And, and, you know, I don't think it's important to argue, it's hard to argue that, you know, that memories are really important to us, but I think they're really important to God too, because we see all throughout the Bible, especially the Old Testament, times where after God had moved in someone's life, he asked them to do something as a way of memorializing what had happened. Maybe build a stone altar, or write a song, or a poem, or, a, or a, to, to write a book about it. And we see this several times, and I think there's kind of two reasons we can pinpoint as to why it's important for us to remember what God has done for us in our lives. And the first reason is simply this. Remembering God's faithfulness from the past allows him to trust him, allows us to trust him in the present. I mean, there's a great story in the, in the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy, and it's, it's at a time where Moses is speaking to the Israelites, and he's, he's had enough, right? He's, he's frustrated with this group of people. He is so tired of having to tell them the same thing over and over again. And of course, we all know this from, from Bible, uh, Bible school when we're kids. What were the Israelites doing this whole time? What were they always doing? Grumbling, murmuring, complaining. But here's the other thing I think we forget about. The people weren't very happy with Moses either. They were grumbling for a reason. They were, they were really tired of all these rules. And, and Moses, you know, he had that temper. Let's be honest, you know, there was that time he smashed those tablets to pieces. Like, that was pretty shocking for them to see. Uh, you know, if I'm an Israelite, I'm thinking, man, Moses, he's not very grateful. I mean, we made him that beautiful golden calf for his birthday. <laughs> he got angry. And, and so they've been walking around for 40 years. They're going to go into the promised land, and they're just tired of all this, and they're tired of each other, and they're grumbling, and they're grumbling, and they're grumbling. But here's the problem. They look into the promised land, and they realize there's already people there big, scary-looking people who are there. And so they, of course, start grumbling again. And it's Moses who responds. This is in Deuteronomy 7. It says this. It says, You may say to yourselves, These nations are stronger than we are. How can we drive them out? But do not be afraid of them. Remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. You saw with your own eyes the great trials, signs, and wonders, the mighty hand and outstretched arm with which the Lord your God brought you out. The Lord your God will do the same to all the people that you now fear. That's a pretty good speech for a guy who once said about himself that he was slow in tongue. What a a, a great speech for him to make at that moment. And of course, what did the people do in return? They, They grumbled some more. They weren't very happy about this. But... The question, I think, has to become, in that moment, he said, what is it you need to remember? And he said, remember what happened when you were in Egypt. Remember how God rescued you. Do you guys remember the Red Sea parting as you walked through? Do you remember the army of Pharaoh and his chariots being washed away as he rescued from his hand? Do you remember that? And I think we have to ask ourselves, what are the things in our lives that we should be purposeful about remembering? You know, maybe it's a time when God moved in your life on behalf of you and, and, and something with your family, and God showed up and he did something, and you, and you swore you'd never forget it. You were so moved by that moment, and you committed yourself to becoming closer and closer to him, and it's in those times where we feel very close and very tight to God, we, we seem to remember things very easily, but there's these other times where we feel like God's distant. And that's not God. God doesn't go anywhere. When God feels distance, it's usually because you've turned your back away from him. But when God feels distance, suddenly we stop remembering what he did. And we start remembering the circumstances of what happened. It's during these, different, these distant times where we just find ourselves no longer looking to what he did, 
and we start grumbling about the circumstances we find ourselves in. Because remembering what the, what's happened in the past is that first step to trusting him in the current situation we find ourselves. And that's, that's not different now than it was back then. You see, we remember the wrong things sometimes. We remember the difficult part of the story, but we don't focus on what God did in that moment. And, you know, I can stand up here and tell you that I can remember very clearly a time when God cared more about my marriage than I did. And it was a terrible time in my life. It was a time where I was very selfish and disconnected with God, and I had given up, and I was sick of it, and I think I've shared this with you guys. I moved out. I decided my marriage wasn't worth working on, wasn't worth saving, and I moved out. And when I look back at that time right now, I look back at it so thankfully, because that was a time in my life where God moved on my behalf. And it was at that moment where I realized, I don't want to remember the circumstance. If I remember the circumstance of how foolish I was, if I remember the circumstance of how selfish and disinterested I was, I just fixate on that as a terrible time in my life. But now, looking back, I instead choose to look at what God did at that time in my life. But I'm going to come back to that story in a few minutes. But that's number one. Remembering God's faithfulness from the past allows, him to, allows us to trust him in the present. But the second one would be this. Remembering God's faithfulness from the past can direct our actions in the future. And let's say, so let's take a look at another Old Testament story. This one you all know, David and Goliath. We, you've heard it uh, many, many times. And this is the time where the Israelites and the Philistines are lined up on opposing hills. And we assume that they basically had even-sized armies simply because no one's making a first move. When you're fighting hand-to-hand -hand combat, the high ground is everything. Gravity is your greatest ally. And so you don't, if you decide to march first, you're giving up the high ground. It would have been a very dangerous thing to do. So day after day, week after week, the army would assemble in the morning, and they would stand there and stare at each other all day, and then they would pack up and sleep at night and, and get ready again the next day. And of course, eventually this would lead to some taunting and some yelling and some, uh, uh, some of this stuff. And eventually we know this man, Goliath, this nine-foot-tall man, Goliath, came out, and he started taunting the Israelites. He started taunting them about how weak their God was. And of course, nobody, nobody would act. And then he comes up with this, what sounds like this crazy idea. He says, listen, you send out your best warrior, and the two of us will fight one-on-one. -on -one. And if we win, we, the whole battle is over. We take you all as slaves. We, take you, we, we win the land. It's over. And if you do, then the same would be true, vice versa. And of course, we realize that probably the greatest warrior in the land was Saul, who had very little interest in getting involved in this. And it sounds like such a crazy idea, like who would agree to that, right? But actually, throughout history, there's been a number of times where this has happened. Uh, 1351, England and France had been in a series of wars and a series of battles, and neither side really had the ability to fight anymore. They were both kind of uh, so broke and so short on men, they really couldn't fight anymore. But then they, somebody had died, and now the entire area of Brittany was now available to be ruled, and they both laid claim. And, uh, but they couldn't fight for it. So what they did instead was something that became known as the Combat of the 30. There's a painting here of it, where England brought their 30 best knights, and France bought, France bought their 30 best knights, and they had a battle. And during this battle, whichever side of the 30 would win, they would become the rulers over all of this land called Brittany. And so in the end, the French won, and uh, so the French ended up ruling all of Brittany, Brittany? Brittany? No, wrong Brittany. 
<laughs> that didn't work at all. Let's go to the next slide and just pretend that didn't happen. There's Brittany. Some people call it the nose of France because it's the part that sticks out in the English Channel. But all of this land was, run, was won over by this little battle, the rule of 30, and uh, the, sorry, the combat of the 30. And so it's David found in this moment, and people are lining up to make fun of David. He says, no, we got to go fight this guy. And if you guys won't, I will. And it starts with his brothers and eventually goes all the way to the king, and they're all making fun of him at this terrible idea. But it's finally when David is standing before King Saul, he says this in 1 Samuel 17. It says, but David said to Saul, your servant, sorry, I'm, I'm reading an IV up here, but David persisted, I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it by the jaw and I club it to death. I have done this to both lions and bears and I'll do it to this pagan Philistine too, for he has defied the armies of the living God. What is he doing there? He's remembering how God was with him when he fought the lion and the bear. Sorry, verse 37, I forgot one. The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. I did read that, didn't I? Finally, Saul says, okay, go ahead. Take it off. <laughs> I'm confused here. Take it off. Here's the point. He's remembering. David is not, is not remembering the time he fought Goliath. That hasn't happened. He's remembering how God was with him when he had to face the lion and the bear. And he says, if that's the God who protected me then, then that will be the God who will protect me now. It's a little bit like he's saying this. He says, I will because he already has. And David's remembering this. And that's where his confidence comes from. He remembered that God had, what God had done for him in the past, how he had stood side by side with him and fought his battles with him. And he said, that's going to allow me to direct my future actions. I don't, fear, uh, I don't fear this Philistine because I know that God is with me. And so us, maybe for you, it's something you actually remember previously in your life like David did. Maybe it's in the midst of a difficult time in your marriage. You remember the promise that you made to God so many years before. Or maybe at a time when your teenage kids seem to have forgotten how much you love them, maybe it's that remembrance of how blessed you felt when God blessed you with that child in your home. Maybe it's something that you can look back to in your life and realize it was there. Or maybe it's the faithfulness that you find in God's people throughout the scriptures. And it allows you to remember God's faithfulness from the past so that it will direct your future. Imagine if, you, if you're feeling alone and lost, you're feeling depressed, you're feeling like you have no purpose, and then you read in Jeremiah 29, verse 11, it says this, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and give you a hope. That wasn't written to you, but that was written for you. Because that same God will look out for you in the same way. God has a plan for you. He has a purpose for your life, and he wants to fill you with hope. And we know that, not, even if it's not from personal experience, we know it from the scriptures where we read it. And so I think we can understand why, import, why it's so important that we, that we be good at remembering what we're supposed to remember. But I think it's also fair to say, in general, we're not good at remembering things. We often forget the things that are most important to us. It reminds me of, uh, of a story of an older couple. And... Uh, the, the wife was often getting on the husband about always forgetting things. She always say, just write it down. Just write it down. Him being a typical man is like, I don't need to write it down. I'm just going to remember. And so one day, he's, they're sitting on the front porch, and he says to his, his wife, I'm going to go make an ice cream sundae. Can I make one for you? And she says, that's a great idea. Here's what I want. 
I want a scoop of vanilla, a scoop of strawberry, a scoop, you know what, write it down. It's like, I got it, I got it. It's an ice cream sundae, I can handle this. All right, scoop of vanilla, scoop of strawberry, scoop of chocolate, and I want some hot fudge and some caramel sauce and some whipped cream and then some of the sprinkles maybe and a cherry on top. You sure you don't want to write it down? He says, I got it, it's fine. So he goes in the house and he's in there for about 10 or 15 minutes and she can kind of hear the clanging together of some dishes and, and uh, some stuff happening in the kitchen. And he comes out with a tray and he's smiling and he puts it right in front of her. And she looks down at the, and there's a plate sitting there with two fried eggs, three strips of bacon, two sausages, a big pile of hash browns and some toast. And she looks up at him and he's just smiling, that goofy smile that husbands somehow inherit when they get married, right? He's just smiling at her. And, he, and, he, and she says, I told you to write it down. And he says, what? It's perfect. She said, I asked for scrambled eggs. Because <laughs> they both had a bad... You guys, you guys got it. Uh, but, but you guys laugh, but I, I honestly wonder if your memory is any better. So I, I think I want to test your memory for a few minutes here. So here's what you're going to do. In the seat right in front of you, in that little pocket, you're going to find a little strip of paper, and you're going to find a pen. And if this feels like a quiz... It kind of is, yeah. So here's what we're going to do. Uh, I want you to notice that there, there's 26 lines labeled A through Z, and that's your biggest hint, because in a minute, not yet, in a minute, I'm going to put a picture up on the screen for 60 seconds, and it's going to have 26 pictures on the screen. And here's your big hint. Every picture will start with a different letter of the alphabet. That's really going to help you when it comes to remembering this. Now, no taking pictures, no writing before we start, no pretending you're too cool to do it. I heard somebody over here. You're all going to do it because Pastor Mark's watching from the back. Yes? How long should I put it on? Uh, I'll tell you when to put it on and put it off. But you have 10 minutes. You're not getting 10 minutes. I got a little clock going on right here. Are you ready? So pens down. Don't take a picture of it. Don't be that guy. All right? All right, here we go. 60 seconds. Go. I think I'll make it 30 seconds. It's going to be a long time for me to stay in here awkwardly. That's 10. I'm going to give you 30 seconds. There's a lot of people's heads down. What are you doing? You're not writing it down, are you? No, don't write it down. It's not a, it's not a, you're not writing lines. What is this? You're, re, you're looking and you're remembering. Did I not explain it well? I'm going to blame you. All right, take it down. Take it down. Now, pull out your sheet of paper. And I'm going to give you 30, no, I'm going to give you a whole minute this time. How many can you remember? And if you wrote a bunch down, shame on you. Flip your page and do it again. 26 things, A through Z. Let's see how many you can get. And I said I'm going to give you a minute, and I probably won't even give you a minute. So just get going. Is that me? This is thrilling TV at home right now. Just, I'm just going to stare at the camera and then just stare at me. Should have half by now. Should have half by now. LMNOP. Are you ready? Pens down. Pens down. Examination time is over. All right, I'm going to do the, the, the cheesiest thing that teachers do around the world. I'm going to have you mark your own work. You know why teachers do that, right? 
because I don't want to look at 100 lists of the same 26 words. I don't want to be bothered, so you are. I, I always liked that. I never liked the make your partner market because I was always devastated by how poorly my partner knew I had done. So you're going to mark your own on the honor system. We're going we're gonna to put the picture back up, but I'm going to rapid fire through them in alphabetical order. Just want to get a score at the end of how many you guess. So put that same picture back up. Here we go. Apple, broom, car, donut, eagle, football, grapes, heart, ice cream cone, jam, kangaroo, lock, microwave, nickel, octopus, pen, quarter, rat, scissors, toilet paper, umbrella, violin, watermelon, xylophone, yarn, and zebra. All right. Count them up real quick. We're losing, the, we're losing the home audience here. Count them up quick. All right. Once you got a score, stand up. Once you, uh, once you have tabulated your score, stand up. Who's going to be? There you go. There's always one guy who has to be the first to stand up. And then in unison, everybody else just rises. They're like, oh, it's okay to do it. It's safe. All right. If you had five or less correct, ju just sit down. Just, just work. You know, I, I really should, as a teacher, I should have something complimentary to say about each group. Zero to five, just sit down. Just sit down. How about uh, under 10? If you got under 10, sit down. All right, this is going to get serious now. Uh, put your hand up if you have 15 or more. Okay, no, so yeah, that's the... All right, so here we go. If you had 11 or more, sit down. 12. Or less. What did I do it backwards? Yeah. Uh, if you have at least 11 correct, 11 correct or more, stay standing. 12. 13. You can't sit up and down again. That is not how it works. 14. Just tell me your score. I'm dying up here. 14. 13. Mark in the back had three. He had three. 13, three. All right. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. But it's hard to remember things, especially if you don't take, have some sort of reason to do this. What would happen if I put that up there and didn't tell you anything about it and then took it off and said, name the 26? You probably would have got three. Okay, put up your hand if you got three for real, though. <laughs> don't worry, the camera can't see you. Choo Sometimes we have to choose to remember. Sometimes we have to think very carefully about choosing and being intentional about it. I want to share one more Old Testament story with you, and then we, we're, we're uh, got to get moving here. This is uh, something that takes place in Joshua, and this is the time where the Israelites are about to go into the Promised Land to occupy it, but first they have to cross a river. Anybody know the river? Jordan, Jordan River, right? You, you got excited. We said your name. Jordan River. Okay? Now, I don't know what you picture when you think of the Jordan River, and I don't know exactly where they were crossing. But the Jordan River in some places is 25 miles wide, and in some places is 200 feet deep. So this is not like crossing the Grand at York, where you put on some hip waders. This is the major, major river. And so they get there, and God tells Joshua to do the following. Go tell, get everybody to line up, and go tell the priests in the front, who are carrying a huge metal box filled with rocks. Tell those guys to walk out into the middle of the river. To which I think I would have said, you first, Joshua, right? <laughs> this doesn't seem like a very good plan to me. But they did. 
And it, but here's the, here's the interesting thing. It wasn't until their feet got wet. It wasn't until they started moving that things started happening. But as they walked across, it was very similar to the, the Red Sea. Red Sea talks about a wind coming. This just talked about the water stacking up on itself as this entire group marched through. And when they got to the other side, all safely to the other side, um, we'll pick up the story there. Joshua 4, verse 1. It says, when the whole nation... When all the people had crossed the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Now choose 12 men, one from each tribe. Tell them, take 12 stones from the very place where the priests are standing, that's the middle of the river, in the middle of the Jordan, carry them out and pile them up at a place where you camp tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had chosen, one from each of the tribes of Israel. He told them, go into the middle of the Jordan in front of the ark of the Lord of your God. Each of you must pick up one stone and carry it out on your shoulder. These are big stones, 12 stones in all, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. He will use these stones to build a, we will use these stones to build a memorial. In the future, your children will ask you, what did these stones mean? Then you can tell them. They remind us that the Jordan River stopped flowing when the Ark of the Covenant went across. These stones will stand as a memorial among the people of Israel forever. So I immediately thought to myself, I need to get you all a big bag of rocks. And if you know me, I love props, but I was just too lazy. So if we're not going to do that, if we're not going to build an altar every time something happens, what could we do? What could we do? Could we do something like, write it down? Could we take a picture, even if it's a selfie? Could we take a picture of that moment in our lives when God has moved in a mighty way so that we can remember it? Could we shoot a little video of what happened? Could we sign our name on a baptismal tank to commemorate that moment? Could we talk to anybody who will listen about what happened in that moment? Because it is a choice to remember, and it is a choice to remember what God has done rather than the difficult circumstances you might be facing. And when we memorialize that moment, however we choose to do it, what we can do is remember that it was God who brought you through, not the circumstances. Can I show you one last picture? This, is, uh, this was taken the day I came home. Emily is not here, because if she was, she wouldn't let me show you a picture with side bangs. <laughs> she was very concerned about this. So that's the picture of the day I came home about four months later. And you know, I don't, here's the thing though, I don't carry that picture around in my wallet. It's not on my phone. I don't have it up poster size in my house. But what I did do to, to remember that day is I took a verse that uh, a man who had been kind of counseling and mentoring me, a man named Don, who had spent a lot of time with that summer, he had shared a verse with me that had kind of become almost my motto for the summer. And it was this from Isaiah 59. It says, surely the arm of the Lord is not too short to save nor his ear too dull to hear. And I wrote that in the inside cover of my Bible as a reminder of that day, how far I had gone away from God and how far he had brought me back. And I simply say this, if God was able to do that then, can't God do something right now? Amen. If I'm faced with a difficult circumstance, can I not remember what God did 10, 11 years ago in my life so that I can look to, to now and understand that if he did it then, he can do it again. Because remembering God's faithfulness from the past allows us to trust him in the present, and remembering God's faithfulness from the past directs our future actions.
And I want to just end with kind of one last uh, example of, of remembrance, and that's the fact that we're going to share communion tonight. And so uh, if, you're, if you're helping out with that, if you want to make your way to the back and start handing out the, uh, the, the bread and the wine, or the bread, bread and the, the juice, I guess. But, you know, it's, a, if, it's an invitation for you to, to, to join us in this. If you're not sure what it's all about, it's completely acceptable not to do this. It's, it's not a ritual. It's not a tradition. It's a remembrance. And so if you're comfortable, we don't have any rules here about being a member or how long you've been coming. It's, between, it's your heart and, and your situation. So you can make that decision if you want to participate. But, you know, Jesus, he's, he's always thinking outside the box. And he was very thoughtful about this idea that he wanted to create a moment of remembrance with his disciples. And so uh, he was sharing a meal with them. And I, we call it the Last Supper. I'm sure they didn't call it the Last Supper, but we call it the Last Supper. And Jesus, what Jesus did was he simply said this. He said, we're going to do something at this meal tonight. And we're going to do something that is a purposeful decision to remind you what I've done. And it may seem kind of a, a strange thing you know, to, to, to share this little tradition during a meal. But this is what it was about. And what I love most about the, the idea that we're going to share the Lord's Supper or communion tonight is simply this idea that this was something given to us by Jesus himself. And it is something that has been happening in the church since the beginning. We know that there was about 50 days between the Last Supper and really when the church started to meet as a group, when the gathering started to happen once Jesus had left. And in those, and following those 50 days, for the next 2,000 years, believers around the world have been doing this nonstop. It wasn't invented at a later date. It wasn't something that was created to just kind of fill a gap. It was something that Jesus laid out for us. And back then, the early church, they would meet for hours and hours. They would meet all day sometimes, and they would always be sharing meals together. It certainly didn't begin with the little cups and little cubes of bread. It was just part of every meal that they would share together. Every time they would sit down and eat together, they would stop during the meal to do this. And they would share in what they called the remembrance of communion. And you know, we, the church, we've been doing that ever since. And here's the key thing, though. We don't remember the ritual. We don't remember what Jesus taught us that day. We don't remember what it meant for him to do this. We remember what he did for us and trusting in him that he would do, if he would do that for us 2,000 years ago, won't he still work in our lives? Won't he still move in our lives? And so it's simply understanding that remembrance is about what Jesus did, not a ritual, not something that we learn to do as a church because we have kind of ritualized it, haven't we? we, we you all knew when the little tray came what to do and how to do it, but that's not ever what it was meant to be about. It's about remembering that moment where Jesus made that sacrifice to us. And so I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians. Um, and, and of course, the, the, the remembrance we're about to take part in, uh, it's, it's described in all four of the Gospels. But in 1 Corinthians, Paul uh, is kind of a recapping or resetting this, this custom. Um, and so he's sharing with, with the, uh, the people in Corinth how he wants this done. And he says this in um, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, it says this. On the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You do that with me right now. Let's just pray. You know, John writes that there's, uh, there's no greater gift than to lay down one's life for a friend. 
what a loaded comment that is to first of all realize that Jesus considers us friends and then to realize that he would willingly lay down his life for us, his life for me. How can we not thank him for his sacrifice? How can we not thank him for loving us uh, before we even could love him? And how can we not thank him for making us whole? And so we remember that right now, that sacrifice of his body for us. And then Paul continues in the very next verse. He says, in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Let's do that together as well. And Lord, we just pray right now that we know that the blood shed that day on the cross. Lord, it should have been mine. I was guilty of the sin, Lord, but you took that punishment. I'm deserving of the punishment that you paid that day, and I deserve uh, what you received on that cross. But you willingly stepped in my place, Lord, so that I could be made righteous again. By grace, you shed your blood so that I could be washed clean. And I know that Jesus, that Jesus you are greater than my sin. Let's pray this, Jesus. And then finally, in the very next verse, it says this, every time you eat bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. And can I just simply remind you as we close tonight, he is coming again. Amen. I mean, what an amazing thought that all that Jesus has done in the past, it directs our future because we know there's more. There's more than the salvation he offered. There's an eternity spent with him. It's amazing to think about, and it's hard to even wrap your head around, but for all of eternity, we will join him in heaven because of what he's done for us. And you know, because of during his last few days, because Jesus took the time to establish this remembrance, this, this symbol of, of what it was he was about to do, it was so critical for those disciples to continue that. And that's why it becomes so critical for us to continue as well. Because when you really think about it, how can we not say that that is worth celebrating? And how can we not say that that's worth remembering? Let's pray. Lord, just so thankful, so thankful, Lord, just to, just to be in your presence and to take the time, Lord, to think about what it is you've done in our lives. It kind of piles up after a while and you almost stop paying attention to the many blessings. But Lord, I just ask right now, what do I need to remember and what can I do to remember it? What more do I need to remember about the way you've blessed me? What more do I need to remember about the sacrifice that you made? that the new covenant written in your blood, Lord, was for my benefit. I'm so thankful for you, so thankful for you, Lord, and just so overwhelmed by the simple idea that you loved us enough to make that sacrifice. You loved each and every one of us individually enough to make that sacrifice. Just so thankful, Lord. I just pray this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Well, we got some discussion questions for you as always, and we're always very eager for you to uh, take something away with you, uh, whether it's a, a thought that you maybe work through or you sit down. I know there's so much, but <laughs> as I, I'd be one of these new teachers that says, you know what, choose a few of the questions to do, and, uh, and that'll be fine. But uh, just want you to kind of think a little bit about um, that kind of role of remembrance in your life. And so there's a few, you know, the first one is always what jumped out at you, if anything, from today's talk. Uh, what is one of your favorite memories from years ago? It's always nice to reminisce with people, share that with somebody. 
Why is it so easy for you to recall that memory? I think that might be a key little piece of information for you. Why do we remember so well the things that we do remember well? Uh, why do you think remembering is so important to God? And I ask you this as well. How, how do you want to be remembered? And do you feel you live your life in a way that reflects how you want to be remembered? And finally, I ask, what steps will you take this week to begin remembering the ways God has been faithful for you? Being intentional about how we remember things is so much more valuable to us so that we can remember things. And so I uh, wish you all a fantastic week. If you want me to put up the picture of Candace again at the end, I can, but the questions have to stay up for a bit, and she said no. Uh, but uh, just uh, so thankful to be joining you guys and uh, looking forward to seeing you again. <laughs>